In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, we, uh, we have Dr. Mark Andrawis with us, and uh, we have already um, two seminars in the past, and today's seminar will be about the, uh, the spirituality and the rites of uh, the Pascha week and the Holy Week. Um, there's so much information. The resources is huge, and the, we're going to see the the the, um, the progress, how we started in the past, and how we end up, what we celebrate and what we have in our hands nowadays. It didn't happen overnight, but we're going to see part of the history how this uh, evolved, how the prayers, how the the, the 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 Holy Week evolved to what we celebrate nowadays in uh, the Coptic Orthodox Church worldwide. Uh, Dr. Mark is, uh, I know he's um, uh, a very academic, very thorough in his uh, 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 studies that I know, that I know. So we will uh, uh, listen to um, uh, Mark and uh, uh, questions will be just held until we finish. Uh, I know the timing, we are 45 minutes behind. Uh, and this topic is, is not um, an easy topic. I would recommend if we have to leave uh, in one hour, and I know Mark maybe needs hour and a half, my suggestion, maybe we'll split it into two sessions. If that, it's a good, what do you think? Everybody, uh, are you okay with that? We can split it into two sessions. So we can start today. If next week is fine or in two weeks, we can resume again because I don't want to rush and I don't want to give you a material that worth like two hours worth in, 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 in one hour. Okay? We have the time. I know today we have so many events and most of you maybe were uh, uh, busy or, or something and then the, the computer gave us some ish, technical issues. Uh, uh, thank God it's resolved, but we'll take it from here. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thank you, Abuna. Um, so the screen uh, is a little bit dark. If you can't see, I think the screen is very clear. Uh, so if I removed whatever was in, in your way, but um, there's not a, I think the red writing isn't showing up, but there's not a lot of red text in the, in the presentation. Um, so I'm going to talk today about Holy Pascha Week. And uh, when you Google anything or you pick up the first book you see in a bookstore, really uh, the most common uh, books or the most common writings about this week have to do with correlations of uh, the day and the spirituality of the day. Um, and there's a lot of resources around this, but it's a little bit scarce when you're looking into the history of how the week came about, what it was before, what it is today. Um, who were the people that contributed in what we have today as a Holy Week. So I'm going to try to focus a little bit on this. Uh, and I'm going to dig into, um, you know, we're going to go back far to Moses' time to see how this week came about um, over, over the years. So the uh, agenda today, I'm going to talk about the origins of Pascha, uh, the term and its different meanings. There's this concept that you find in the historical books of passion to passage. And I think that those two terms resonate a little bit uh, on what you know the Holy Pascha week is. Uh, why the Passover time? And I think that's really important. That really sheds a lot of light into what we have today. Um, from Pascha days to Pascha week, or from a celebration of a two-day time to a celebration of a, a full week. And then we're going to touch on uh, some rites uh, at the end uh, as to why we do things the way that we do it. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, Pascha and uh, the terminology, I'm sure any time you hear a lecture about, the, about Pascha week or Holy week, the first, the interest typically, what does the word Pascha mean? And when you dig into a little bit of uh, historical references here, you find that it meant different things at different times. And it's interesting because it's a word. So it's got to have one meaning, but um, in, in Exodus or during the time of uh, Moses um, when uh, he went to Pharaoh and God told him as to what he's going to be doing. Uh, the word meant, it, the, the Jews at this time took it as the feast of the Passover. 
That's what it was. It was, uh, it meant the Passover itself, the celebration. It meant, it meant the lamb. You could use the word Pascha to, to say lamb instead, essentially. And it was the first night of the unleavened bread. And Pesach was the kind of root. That's the Jewish terminology at that point. And you can see that very clearly in uh, Exodus 12. Uh, it is the Lord's Passover. That was as far as the definition went. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And then a little bit later, you know, as the Jews have left Egypt and have uh, made settlement, uh, the word has taken on its Hebrew meaning, which is Pesach this time. And what that meant is to skip over or to hop. And you see in the, in the, in the Bible that it took on a slightly different meaning. Again, the text didn't change, but it was, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Uh, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Interestingly, the only time in the Bible it's used in the same manner is in Isaiah on a prophecy when it says, like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending it, he will also deliver it. And there is the key point. How is he going to deliver it? He's going to do a passing over. Uh, he will preserve it. And that's the only other time that you have the word with its roots used in the same exact manner uh, in, in the Bible. And then in the early Christianity, as the time passed, it started, we started seeing something a little different in regards to the word. There is, it became passion versus passage. So you had the sort of the Western churches using the word Pascha to, to signify the pains, the passions. And then you had the Eastern uh, utilizing it as a passage. And the passage terminology was taken on by Origen, St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Clement, St. Augustine. All of them utilize when they, when they talk about Holy Pascha week, they talked about it as a passage, not as a passion. St. Cyril of Alexandria said, we pass over from the devil to Christ and from this unstable world to his well-established kingdom. So the way the, the, the week started to be celebrated switched from let me focus on passions to our goal is not to weep for him. That's not the point of Holy Week uh, alone, but to pass over with him from death to life. And that's the study, that's the, 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 what, what the church fathers have adopted as a, as a theme for celebrations during uh, the Holy Week. And very quickly, we stop referring to the week as a Holy Passion Week, which is a very Western tradition or a very Western method of celebrating the week. It became a Holy Pascha Week, and Pascha meaning passage at that point. So that's kind of the terminology of how it came about and what we should be referring to this week as. So I'll hopefully uh, continue referring to it as Holy Pascha Week during this uh, presentation. For us to understand this Holy Week, we really have to go back a little bit in time and we have to get a good grasp on the Passover and its celebrations. And then to get a good grasp on the Passover, we really have to understand where the Passover came from and it came from the 10th plague. So we're gonna um, go a little bit deeper into, into history here uh, to, to get a good understanding of, of what it is. Moses, uh, in Exodus 3, 9 to 10, God comes to him and says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that was the very first message from God to Moses in regards to what's about to happen next. And then from Exodus 7 to 10, we go through the nine plagues uh, that God brings uh, upon uh, Egypt at this time. And then God announces the 10th plague, which becomes the root of uh, Judaism for a very long time. That's the very first celebration that God tells him to celebrate. And he says, and I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, 
he will surely drive you out here together. So I'm going to uh, read a small um, uh, passage from Exodus 3 where you see a bunch of dots. I'm, I've skipped some text before and after because I'm trying to highlight a specific, a few specific points here. This month shall be your beginning of months. So this is God describing to Moses now, what's a, you know, how, do you, how, do you, how, do, how are you going to protect yourself from that 10th plague that I'm about to put on you? This month shall be the beginning of your month. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Now, and he describes different, you know, what kind of lamb you can take. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night. It's the Lord's Passover. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same pers person shall be cut from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. So for us to understand what God is asking the Israelites to do at this point, I think we really have to get a, a pretty good grip to, into what their days look like. We know that the days in the Old Testament or in the Jewish tradition, which is what it is until now, is from uh, basically sunset to sunset. So if I were to look at this, it would be you know, let's say five o'clock, four, five o'clock, six o'clock. You would be the beginning of a day, uh, the end. Sorry, the beginning of the new day and the end of one, and then into the next one. And right in between here would be sunrise. So I'm gonna hopefully give you here a little bit of an insight of what that looked like. You can see a little bit of light at the very first. Um, at the very. At the very first uh, part here, there's a little bit of light, and then you go into darkness, and then you go into light, and it repeats again. Because God's instructions were very clear as to when you should be doing certain things. So back to that same text that uh, we just read, and we see a mention of the month, we see a mention of the days of when you should be doing things, and times that you should be doing them. So I'm going to lay out the, you know, the, the month of Nisan, which is uh, the very first month that God tells the Israelites to keep as their, as their main month, as their first month. And the days that are associated, associated with it, we're going to go from day 10 to day 21, and we'll see in a minute as to why that is. And then each one of these is, is, a, is a full day in the Old Testament. So God tells them, and if you can see here on uh, verse 3, Three, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself um, a lamb. So that's when you start seeking out the lamb. And then God quickly says, Keep it for four days, which was very interesting because you're going to keep it for four days, and then after the fourth day, you're going to take that lamb and you're going to kill it. And God's intent is he wants you to keep the lamb. He wants you to nourish it. Imagine being in a Jewish family at that time or an Israelite at this time and you've got a bunch of kids and you come home with this lamb. You tend to it. You care for it. You feed it. You take care of it. Your kids play with it. And then four days later, you got to do this in front of your kids and you got to kill that lamb and you got to eat it. And there is a lot of wisdom in what is God asking of the Israelites to do with this lamb. He wants you to nourish it, grow close to it, love it, because something is going to happen to this lamb that's going to affect what the relationship between God and the Israelites at this time. And then from this point on, we have the seven days of uh, the unleavened bread. And I think we've grown to, uh, in our works, in our schools, it's like Passover week. It's not a Passover week, it's a Passover day. That's what God intended it to be. Uh, the term started being used very loosely into combining the whole week together. No, Passover is actually the meal at the beginning. That's what the Passover is because that's when God passes over. And then there, what comes after it is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So it's, they're, they're kind of two different events, two different uh, holidays per se. So we're going to focus a little bit on that 14th day in a minute here um, because I think that becomes the basis for a lot of what we have as Holy Week today. 
At the end of God's instructions to Moses, he tells him, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And this is what happens on the Passover table today with the Jewish people. The youngest of the attendees asks why we're doing this, and the oldest is supposed to explain. And there is a whole tradition that follows exactly what goes on, what went on at that time, and follows what God is asking, uh, to do, what, ask, what God is asking them to do. So we have a good understanding of how the 10th plague came about, and I think it's time now to start talking about, okay, what, after, what happened after the Israelites left Egypt uh, the exodus happened, they're settled in their new homes, in their new areas, and now they're celebrating this feast from here on because it was God's instructions that you're going to celebrate this thing forever. So I want you to imagine for a minute, it's old, um, you know, old Jerusalem per se, and, and, and you are uh, someone who is living through this time with a family, uh, imagine a time maybe five, six years before Christ's crucifixion and you're celebrating this uh, Passover quite often. And then comes the time of the year, you still don't know what's going to happen, but Christ will be crucified at this, in this year. And you're going through the same motions of what's going on. It's very hard to, at that time, you know, sometimes we say hindsight's twenty twenty. I think uh, someone going through that time would very hard for them to see what's what's about to happen or what this is let i I'm, I'm not discounting the fact that christ was preaching for 30 years prior to his crucifix but um at the same time it's a very uh it's a lot of different things that are happening in a very short period of time to say oh this is a lamb that was intended by uh god uh to, to be the the real sacrifice that's about to happen so quickly i want to go over a quick thing with the passover um, this is what a cedar plate or the word cedar is, is, it means order and this is what it would have. Um, they, the, the Israelites have a shank bone which is a symbol of the sacrifice that they made on that very last night. It has um, uh, uh, charoset which is an apple cinnamon which makes up which is significant, uh, significant of the mortar they used to build blocks and as slaves to the Egyptians. To, to the Egyptians. They have bitter, bitter, bitter herbs, which is uh, the pains of slavery. A roasted egg, which signifies a new life. And the whole reason with the matzah, it's could not, uh, there was no yeast in it. It could not, it could not rise. And that's, a, that's a, um, a symbol of how fast they needed to leave Egypt. They put their bread and they could not wait for it to rise uh, to, to leave before Pharaoh comes and gets them. And parsley, just uh, that's kind of a slightly newer thing uh, for the bitterness of slavery. So, having said that, we you are this person that's living during this time. Let's see some correlations between what happens during Holy Week, as we know it today, and what happened back then in the year of Christ. So, we're familiar with this pro with with this table, like we um, we saw it already. Let's add on the days. And you can notice here quickly the difference between how we calculate our days and how the Jewish go about their days. Um, if you see, for example, if you look at Sunday, the very first day, it starts in the darkness and ends in the darkness as opposed to their day one starts in uh, sunset and ends in sunset. So there's a few hours difference for you to uh, appreciate here. On Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And if you see the correlation between that and seeking the lamb, this is the time where Christ enters and people grow close to him, right? This is the time where, okay, I am now going to, this is, this is, if, if this is the new sacrifice, I'm going to be um, protective of it during this time. And Christ goes in and does a lot during those few days before his crucifix from the time he enters into Jerusalem. He goes in on Sunday, he cleanses the temple. Um, on Monday, he walks out, and as he's traveling uh, to Bethany, the fig tree gets uh, cursed. On Tuesday, and again, I'm giving you some highlights, is a, you know, we call the day of the parables. 
Um, on Wednesday, Mary pours the fragrant oil on him, and uh, we see uh, Judas starts the betrayal process. On Thursday, which is your Passover day, is the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, Friday becomes uh, the day of the crucifixion, slightly early, earlier in the day, and then uh, it is finished by the end of Friday, yet not the end of the Jewish day. It has, the sun still has not set, and we can see a lot of references in this when you read all the uh, writings for, for, for Friday, um, is that you know, he was taken off the cross before the end of the day because the next day was the Sabbath, and I think you can appreciate now um, what that means because the Sabbath is right there. And then on Sunday, uh, he resurrects. So you get this sequence of events that happen that are fairly and are very consistent with what God asked Moses to do uh, with, with the Israelites uh, during, during the Exodus time. So let's take all of that information now. Let's go for, you know, uh, right around the second century time here with <clears throat> uh, after Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and uh, let's see how the week was celebrated, how the time was celebrated during this time. And it's quite interesting because comes the second century, and we don't have a lot of data on what happened in the first century. There's a lot of uh, extrapolations of what we know in the second, third, and fourth, and we assume it happened in the second. But there was no Holy Week in the second and third century. There was a short fast Friday and Sunday, and it came from uh, the Gospel of St. Mark. It says, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and they shall fast in those days. The bridegroom was taken away when? Friday and Saturday, right? So uh, those are the days that they thought need to be fasted. You know, why, why a whole week prior? And um, Easter was being celebrated uh, in the pa uh, on, on the Passover day. You know, that was Easter. That was the day that w we celebrated uh, uh, the, the, the resurrection of Christ. And it was very, you know, you see the struggle between Judaism and Christianity as they're trying to, as they're so close, but they're trying to separate to a certain extent a little bit. And you have all these similar holidays. The Christians, from some of the, th some of the uh, things I read, were almost sitting down on a, what looks like a Passover meal, but slightly different, yet the celebrations were, or the traditions were fairly similar. And in the wisdom of the church fathers in this age, there was a struggle between maybe the second and the third, early fourth century, where they're trying to separate the Judaism culture or traditions away from what the Christians were doing at this time. But I want to read you some things that I uh, uh, found on the celebrations in the beginning. Because I think you guys have heard, and I'm sure some of you have read, that it, it, was a, it was a big deal, right? The celebration at that time, it was very close to Christ's uh, death. And, you know, they were letting out prisoners. They were giving the slaves time to, uh, you know, off from their, from their work to celebrate. But the intent of how this was being done was very interesting. And I'm going to read you a small uh, piece here from what I... Um, found their intention in letting prisoner out, prisoners out was to imitate the divine goodness by their own exercise of clemency during these days. And when the world owes its salvation to divine mercy, who are we to judge others at this point? Prisoners. That's, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about. You're opening the prisons on this one day of the year, and you're letting everyone out, except for those that would have caused danger. They're very clear about this. It could have danger to their families or other people. Um, but it says, let the trespasses be forgiven. Let the bonds be taken off. Let the offenses be forgotten. Let revenge be stifled, that the, that th and that thus the sacred feast may, by may, be, may by both divine and human favors find us all happy and innocent. There was a point in time in uh, the Parliament of Paris, which is a little bit later, obviously in the second and third century, but uh, they, were, they would suspend any sessions, not even, uh, they would suspend any sessions where there is a, a sovereign power that says someone is supposed to be doing something. 
Who are we to stand when Christ gave up his whole his life for us? Who are we to stand and to judge someone as to what he should be or should not be doing at this time? So they would close the courts during this time. So it comes around the third century. Uh, it was extended um, to the entire week in certain areas, but it was not a, a, a full celebration amongst all the Christian worlds, Eastern and Western at this time. And no one fasted the full six days. And the, the, the whole wisdom of it is that it needed to grow a little bit further away from the Jewish traditions at this time. And at that, right around that time, there was a struggle of, should it be Sunday? Should it be the Sunday after the Passover? Or should it be the, the day of the Passover? Because that's the day that Christ uh, you know, was, was uh, crucified. And uh, in a lot of references, we can quickly say that Sunday was the Lord's day. And uh, you can see that in the uh, Old Testament and New Testament, it was the, 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 the beginning of the week, the first day of the week. It was always the Sunday where the Lord uh, intended it to be uh, the Lord's day. So St. Cyril, Bishop of Jerusalem, was the very first person right around the 4th century which made it what it is today from a timing standpoint. Six days before uh, the Feast of the Resurrection. And at that time, there was a lot of pushback between uh, him uh, and, and the uh, Church of Antioch uh, and the Roman uh, and Alexandria. Antioch, you know, insisted on the fact that it's Easter and the Passover. Uh, they called them the 14er, the 14, 14 earth, 14ers. Um, and then in Roman Alexandria, it was a Sunday following the Passover up until the Council uh, of Nicaea, which cleared it up completely. Sunday became the day uh, which unified the celebrations and we started celebrating the Feast of the Resurrection on Sunday and six days prior to that was the celebration of the Holy Week. Around the 12th century, Patriarch Gabriel III um, put a team together, an organization which basically came up with uh, a lot of the writings uh, that we have today is what, the, what, what makes up the Pascha book short some things. Uh, which came in the 13th century by Ibn al-Asal, who put all the expositions and a lot of the explanations that are happening. But the Pascha book, as we know it today, has been roughly from the 12th century. So that's the, I'm going to call it the evolution of how the week came about and how the celebration was intended to be. I'm going to get into a little bit of rites, and I think this is kind of the last section um, that I want to focus on here. Uh, Agbeya prayers, it's the one time in the year that we stop praying from the Agbeya completely, it's, which is it's during Holy Week. Because it's the only time in the year that we have substituted the Agbeya's work into another book. And we'll go into that uh, a little bit deeper in a minute here. But the Psalms and the Litanies are all adjusted accordingly to follow the hours. And the Pascha book acts as a substitute for the Agbeya during this time. So how does it do that? In, um, in all of our uh, Pascha books and our celebrations, the day is split into two. It's split into a morning and an evening, essentially. And every day has a first hour, or every section of a day has a first hour. It has a third hour. It has a sixth, a ninth, and finally an eleventh hour. So you can see five different hours. And each hour gets broken down into 10 sections. We have prophecies and poetry. There's about two to five prophecies uh, every hour. Good Friday has up to 20 of them in one hour. And then majority of them are come from the book of Isaiah, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with, with, with this, as it contains a lot of the suffering uh, of Christ. And generally, uh, you're gonna see it like this. One prophecy explains how Jerusalem is going to treat the Messiah, and then the rest of the prophecies discuss the importance of wisdom, the fear of God, uh, righteousness. So we're learning about what happened to him and what his ways are. So, you know, hopefully when you attend, you know, uh, an hour from the beginning and you can read through the prophecies, look for those themes because they're very helpful to shape what the hour is going to be for you. The next point is going to be homilies, which are basically um, church fathers and their interpretation of some of these events. Then it's followed by the Xology of the Bascha, which is Thine is the Glory, the, the uh, hymn that we all know now. 
the Gospels and what, you know, there, there is, you're going to find that in the beginning of the, um, in the beginning of the uh, week, uh, we'll read more from St. Matthew as the week progresses and we get into uh, uh, Bright Saturday, we're reading more from St. John, comes the eve of Thursday and um, uh, the eve of Good Friday and we're reading, sorry, Thursday and we're reading all four Gospels. Um, the expositions, which we know came around the 13th century from Ibn al-Asal, which are, again, further explanations of some things. The litanies, which are our supplications to God during this time. The 12, Lord, have mercies. Uh, the final hymn and then the benediction that Abuna gives at the end of the service. So those were, uh, are the 10 sections for what each hour uh, has, and it follows the same uh, you know, protocol. So that's uh, the first rite that we, and again, I don't have all the rites here, but I've, I've, I've picked out you know, uh, the four main ones. The next one is being outside the altar, and I think that's a very unique one in our church, uh, because what happens is we're following the Old Testament's uh, uh, writing, which is the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured down and burned in wood with fire. Christ's suffering took place outside of Jerusalem. And the first section of our church, which we pray uh, the Bascha days, is, is a representation of Jerusalem, the city of the believers. As, you know, as, as we celebrate Christ himself on the altar, for example, on Thursday, we're allowed to go inside the altar during this time. But the whole point of being outside is because the church is making a point here that we are to stay outside. The altar is not a pathway back and forth. We are trying to live the life of being out away from, 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 um, from, from that salvation that's about to come to us. Um, the black drapes are very interesting, right? Um, it happens outside. You don't see black drapes inside the altar because that's where Christ is. Uh, so you see the whole church is dressed in black outside uh, of the altar. Uh, and, and that's because of, uh, in Philippians, St. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering. Uh, the, next, the next rite is sacraments. And uh, it's hard to say that we, you know, there's not a single time in the church where we're not performing a sacrament of some type, right? Uh, but during this week, uh, we do stop essentially all the sacraments except for one, uh, and that's repentance and confession, because this is the perfect time for it. Uh, because it's full focus on the Passover and the suffering of Christ. And again, be careful with this, because it's not the suffering of Christ, it's the passage of suffering that gets us to where we need to. Um, one sacrament is allowed, like I said, which is the repentance and confession. And what the church did in its wisdom uh, the sixth Sunday of Lent becomes and used, you know, becomes the, 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 the Sunday of baptismals. You're about to stop baptisms for a week. Let's get everyone in on the sixth week of Lent and get all the baptisms done. And that was the rite of passage in the old church where all the, all the um, uh, believers would get baptized actually on a uh, day of Easter. And it was kind of organic. Like this is the day of the resurrection. This is the day of the resurrection. This is the day you've been saved and this is the day you're going to get baptized but that changed now to uh, the day the six, six week uh, sixth Sunday of the Lent and then the very last uh, one I'm going to touch on here is uh, hymnology and I'm not going to try to do uh, audio here but uh, this is really the time where you see a significant change in um, in what happens in our church uh, as we change our tunes, as we transition uh, from, I'm not sure this is not playing, as we transition our tunes and get into a slightly deeper uh, spiritual level with utilizing music, utilizing the hymns, utilizing the way that we, um, you know, go through our readings and and so on, and that was in the churches, right? Uh, the, the, the hymns that are used in the, in the, during Holy Week are some of the oldest hymnology that is known to us. Uh, and some of these tunes are obviously being used on, until the day that we are, we are today. 
And that's basically it. I think that's uh, a quick summary of what goes on uh, in, during this whole week. Uh, there is so much and there is so much confusing stuff to say the least here on between all the different churches and the different avenues that uh, some writers have gone into uh, because of, I mean, you can go into a rabbit hole with how to count the three days uh, that Christ was in the tomb. There's so many different writings. There's beliefs that, and again, I don't, you know, the intention is not to confuse you, but it's a good area to research and to get deeper in. Um, a lot of the writings in uh, Gospels uh, speak of the Sabbath and speak of the Passover. As you can see, there was uh, the Passover celebration and then there was the Sabbath right before it. So there's a lot of scholars that talk about the difference between the two periods of time and which one was intended when St. Mark said the Sabbath or said the celebration, is it this, is it that? Uh, but it's, there's a lot, a lot of dense information that you can get into with this one. Uh, and uh, that's basically it. Yes? So you mentioned um, the point about under the sacraments, and you're, maybe not the sacraments, you were saying how we share in his sufferings, but you made it a point to say, but it's not just his sufferings with the Passover of our sufferings. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that goes back a lot to how in, in the early times, the suffering and the resurrection were almost like treated as one. You were celebrating his, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It was one holiday. It was one thing. It was, there was no, there's, the, the point of the suffering is the gain that we get at the end, right? So what if, if there was suffering, but there was no resurrection? You know, there's no Christianity. If there was no resurrection, there's no Christianity. There was just a suffering. This man suffered on the cross. So the focus in, in the Western tradition earlier on was on the suffering. Look how much he suffered. Look how much he suffered. Look what he went through. But the focus was not on the fact that he beat death by his own death and he resurrected. And that's what undermined the Holy Week. And that's why the, some, the, the Eastern Church really grew very deep into using it as a passage and not a passion. So that's what I meant by it. Because some people, the, the whole point of um, utilizing the suffering as a pathway is because you want to maintain the suffering spirit into, uh, after, after the, 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 the passage has happened. Has happened. We don't want to forget about the suffering of Holy Week as soon as the uh, resurrection happens. We want to maintain that. And the only way to do that is to focus on the resurrection not to focus on the suffering, because the suffering ends. The suffering ended on, on Good Friday. Yeah, this, this uh, uh, when, when our Lord Jesus Christ was carrying the cross and was humiliated, falling down, and every, and he looked around and he see people crying. And what he said to them, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Do not weep for me. Because it's not a, 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 a um, emotional uh, thing to to just to lose the focus on a gift that we were about to receive redemption of mankind and the salvation of mankind so don't get carried away of just the passion that I'm running through uh, but also look what uh, this is the fulfillment of uh, uh, the incarnation he, he was incarnate um, to for the purpose of redemption and for uh, saving the ma mankind in, in total. So don't just ponder or focus or stop at the passion or the, 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 uh, the beat and the um, uh, uh, humiliation of him. And that's what you, uh, and that's what when we celebrate Good Friday, it's mixed up with some sadness. It's for ourselves, sad and for ourselves, not for Christ, for ourselves and some joy also because we received salvation and redemption. So they are both together. And that's the moment of transition at the night of uh, Bright Saturday. And you see the tunes changing because uh, we're sad, not because Christ uh, died, but also is for us. We are, we're transitioning from uh, uh, waiting for the, uh, the, the salvation that we're about to receive and the resurrection through him, we resurrected with him. We died with him and we resurrected with him. So that was the transition. And, and you see the tunes uh, changing from 
uh, one hymn, the same hymn, starts sad and end up joyous. And that's uh, the focus and the... Thank you, Mark. Um, so forgive me if this is a, a little bit of a, co a complicated question you mentioned before uh, of like not going down the rabbit hole with specifics on you know certain days and certain things, but something that I've always uh, kind of wondered about is um, could you go into a little bit more detail about um, the timing of things, especially how Passover and uh, our observation of the Holy Best Week and of Great Friday and Easter Sunday um, relates with things like um, like the uh, astro astronomy portion of it, and why some days, you know, so like this year, for example, the Passover is actually on the Catholic week and not the Coptic week of uh, Pascha, which is unusual, at least in my lifetime. I, I, I'm not familiar with another situation where that happens. So could you go into more specifics about that? Sure. I'm going to do my best, but um, stop me, Abuna, if uh, <laughs> I go down the rabbit hole. Uh, there are some uh, things that I read that are so, so let me backtrack the Passover is celebrated on a full moon so what happened is they look at the astronomy they look at the full, full moon and that becomes the day that you decide when, when it's going to happen but that became a problem at some time because the Christians depended on the Jews to tell them when the Passover day is so they can celebrate Easter. And due to the lack of communications, there were cities, towns, and areas where did not know about the finding of the moon because it was a two-day travel and they may have celebrated two days before or they may have celebrated a month before because they're so far away from the mothership that says when the Passover is going to be. And that was part of the reason why the Christians said, we need to deviate a little bit from the, you know, celebrating on the 14th on the day of the Passover, and we're going to celebrate on the Sunday after. So that, that, that's, that's the first point. Uh, the second point, which is something that Abuna John went into last uh, meeting, about how Lent came about, and what are the holidays? And I think it was very, very, uh, it's recorded, so it's, it would shed a lot of light onto this. But how the days of, the 40 days of fast counted, and there are three different ways that count. And I, he said something that resonated with me so well. He's like, there is so many different ways. All we know is that we have it as we have it today, and that's really what we should focus on. It doesn't matter how you count it. Um, so that's the second point. The first point is that we do, we depended on them, on the Jews to figuring out the time and then we decided to switch over to our own calendar per se. And then the second thing is that the way the fast changed over the years from Lent into Holy Week um, played a big part in why we celebrate differently than we do or, you know, closer far from them at this point. Um, I think the, the, the last point to answer this question as best as I can here is the fact that um, and again I, I, I keep you know I went I, I, it took me a week where I came back to Abuna Kuros and I said Abuna I don't think I can talk on this and he said why I said I can't get over all the different information that I'm getting from you know 10 different books that are saying 10 different things and it was very it was very hard to grasp and eventually I said okay what does the church believe? What does the church say? What are our church fathers and their wisdom have carried on to us at this point? And I said, let me focus on that first. Instead of trying to find the truth, let me go to it first from where it is and let me work my, my way backwards. And it was very easy to do that, actually. It changes your mindset a little bit into, all right, this is my baseline. And the baseline is there are, there are claims he was crucified on a Wednesday. There are claims that he was crucified on a Tuesday. There were claims that he was crucified on a Thursday, um, on a Friday, but on a you know, Friday later in the day. And a lot of the references that you look at are trying to you know, say Sunday was a resurrection. So let me work my way backwards. So give me three days. Well, three days, in what sense? Is it three days in the Jews, uh, in, the, in the Judaism where it's sunset to sunset, three days in the Gregorian calendar? Or did sunset to sunset during the the, the Jewish time was called Wednesday. Was Wednesday sun, uh, sunset to sunset or Wednesday was always defined as 12 to 12? So you get into 
crazy amount of information, I think. And, and I, I, um, what I'm going to tell you, what I did to try to get a good grasp on it, and it makes a lot of sense now, is looking at it from our church resources and then working my way backwards to challenge the other ideas that I saw, uh, that, I, that I found, and I was able to cross off a lot of things. I'm like, this makes no sense. It couldn't make sense um, if I look at it with that baseline. Um, so that's kind of my two cents on it, but I don't, you know, I don't know if I answered your question in full, but it is a very complicated answer uh, to, to, to get to the bottom line of it. I just wanted to ask, I think I missed it, when you explained uh, how we transitioned from having it for, from two days to a week. Did you explain that? Or can you explain yeah, that? so what happened is, because of the uh, verse in St. Mark, um, chapter 20, I think, 22, um, it said that when the bridegroom is taken away from them, they should fast for these days. <clears throat> Um, that was the origin of the cel celebration, celebration of two days. Uh, and then we have references from a nun in, in Jerusalem that tells us about how this uh, celebration was done. And it wasn't, Palm Sunday was not a huge part of it. It was just a regular uh, celebration, regular litur liturgy. But then they kind of walked the pathway of Christ in different areas during this time. And I believe that kind of was the time frame um, or the basis of how the six days came about. I don't know exactly why they decided on six days prior, but when you look at how, um, let me go back, see if I can do this easier here. But when you go back on the times that, um, oh, that moved quick. Uh, on how the, uh, the choosing the lamb and Christ and you count back, that's six days. So it became the journey of Christ walking into, getting into Jerusalem, and that was a celebration of Holy Week. Yeah. So I had a question about the homilies. Sure. I realized that the homilies are only read in the, like, the morning. We'll never read them at night. So that was, like, the first question. And I realized also that it's only four of the fathers that we read them from. Why th those specific four in particular? Morning, we have even, we have different, like, um, uh, prostration is only taking place in the morning, for example. Uh, and the hours of the morning are different from the hours of the night. Um, yes, we have uh, uh, even the tilba, the, 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 the litanies at the end of the morning are different from the night. There are some, uh, like the homilies are added only in the morning hours, not in the, at night. Um, it could be because of, uh, they, they insert it because uh, it has the time and also follows the theme of the whole day. But it's not repeated uh, at night. Um, but why the forefathers? I would say um, not all the fathers maybe uh, wrote about the passion or the specific, but it, it fits the meaning of this hour or the theme of, the, of this hour. And some homilies, I want to tell you, are being canceled out nowadays because the meaning doesn't fit nowadays. We, they looked at it again. And one of the homilies, they say, nah, that's, it shouldn't be read. So after all these years, these certain homilies are taken out because it doesn't fit the theme at all or the meaning is not uh, uh, correctly fits the, 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 the whole theme. Um, I don't remember the hour exactly, but there was an, a, a, a homily. I, w I can search it exactly to you. That's one, yes, and that's not read anymore. Uh, another also, tarh al tarh al expositions. One exposition, um, uh, we stopped reading it. It has to do like cursing out, <laughs> cursing out Judas' wife. That's uh, so we we don't. We don't say it out, or we don't read it, because uh, it's not necessary, and it's not really fitting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Any anybody else has any questions? But I want to I want to tell you also on on um, beauty of the hymns. 
during the Holy Week. And the, 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 the spirituality of the hymns. Hymns can be just a few words, but it can take 20 minutes at a time to sing it. So, and it's always sung in, in, in Coptic. Amonogenes, um, beautiful hymn, wrote by uh, St. Athanasius. Beautiful hymn. Uh, Golgotha, and that's the hymn of uh, uh, taking from Pharaoh's time. When they bury a Pharaoh, a king, that's the same tune they used, but the, the church used the, 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 the music of it, the tune of it, and they put the words to fit. If you go to Africa nowadays, we have Coptic churches in Africa. They have their own tunes. That's culturally accepted, and that's how they celebrate a, a, a liturgy or something. They put the words into their music. So as Copts, we put the words, as a church words, into our music. And that was the music or the hymns of our church back then. They inherited from their forefathers. Basically, yes, we are descendants of the uh, pharaohs or from uh, old Egyptians. And that's our music. Golgotha. Did you guys see the, um, uh, uh, the golden, uh, uh, what is it called? El parade of the kings of Egypt. And you see the music that really uh, everybody loved to hear and uh, uh, listen to it. It was taken from the old time and the words uh, are taken from the old ancient Egyptian words. So we kept, the church kept the hymns and they put the words to fit the hymns and uh, that's what we uh, celebrate. What I wanna say that a few words can take 20 minutes or so to sing it, such as um, uh, Pekathronos. So it's not the word, because the words are so, okay, your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever, right? That's how, how many words? Five words. But the, 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 the third dimension of, of the words is the, is the tune, is the music that uh, makes you feel part of what's going on and that hour when our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, humiliated, and, 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 and treated like a, 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 a prisoner or a, a killer or a murderer. And, 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 but at the same time, we tell him, your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever. How can we take him, accept him as Lord while he was crucified and weak? But the hymns starts very low and takes you up and, and claiming that he's living forever and ever. Forever and ever. And, and, and you feel the hymns is taking you and gives you that meaning of the few words that we are saying. Anybody else has any questions? Thank you so much, Mark. Great job. Uh, we have it uh, um, uh, streamed, so that means it's uh, going to be archived. We're going to send it uh, and have it posted on the website of the church for future, if, if you want to look at it and listen to it again. Uh, thank you so much, and we're going to be Yanni, calling for you again to help. And, and, and prepare. Yeah, it, it's not one-time deal. It's all the time. Great job, and uh, thank you. Let's stand up to pray, and we'll end it over here.